Republicans have created the most broken Congress ever. It's official. Here's why that matters. Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics. And I am thrilled to be joined by, I feel like I'm a fraternity and you're like my sorority sister. I don't know. I was never in a frat. Laura Rodriguez, a vice president for government affairs at the Center for American Progress. Most recently, a chief of staff on Capitol Hill. I like that career. For her hometown Congresswoman, Representative Debbie Mercasso-Powell. Uh, Laura, welcome. Thank you so much, Matt. It is a real pleasure to talk to you about this and anything else you want to talk about. This is oh, a, it is a historic time in all the ways. <laughs> yes, all the ways. I don't know if you feel the same way, but former staffers have a way of, there's a little nod of, you've been there too, huh? Something there. So it's great to get together with you and you focus on this a great deal now that you're at the Center for American Progress. You think about this. And I don't think people really have processed it. So Congress has a 13% approval reading, okay? Like head lice have a 13% approval Rise rating. Rise like, that high, yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's really bad, okay? But I still feel like people don't truly get how bad things have gotten and how badly Republicans have broken the Congress. Am I wrong? Do you think people get this? Yeah, I think they're starting to. and. I think we saw the first inkling of this last week on Tuesday with the New York special election. Okay. I think for a very long time, we all slept on democracy. We're the United States of America. We survive everything. We're good. And then came Trump, right? And everyone went, oh, we're going to have to pay attention now. And they did. And that's great. The circus that is Trump and his MAGA folks does get exhausting and people start to, again, be like, I can't deal with it anymore. I just need to stop. I don't want to worry about politics anymore. I want to just live my life. Then you notice that the Trump and the MAGA had leaked and people started to realize, wait, all these other people are now trying to be like mini Trumps and they want to push all his stuff forward and be mini hymns, uh, mini Trumps. And that's what we have in the House of Representatives, unfortunately. And what we saw was this absolute net like breakneck pace of insanity where they said we can't give more money to ukraine or anyone else except maybe israel without securing our border okay we'll play ball said biden let's do this as well as democrats in the senate and republicans in the senate let's play ball let's do this let's vote on it and the very next day that the text comes out mitch mcconnell and them say you know what we're not even going to open debate and pretend that we care about this. We are just going to kill it before it even has a like a chance to breathe. And what happened was people in New York actually stated this in exit polls as one of the reasons they voted for Tom Suozzi. Because Tom Suozzi, when he ran his very short and successful special election here in New York, excuse me, he said, look, this is the border's an issue. I'm willing to sit down and let's negotiate. I will support this bipartisan deal that that just came out in the Senate. And when they killed it, he said they don't they this is not a problem they want to solve. They want to hold on to it as a political issue. And people heard it, they process it, and they the only party who's even willing to sit down now and try to fix some of the issues are the Democrats. And so I do think it's starting to come through a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've just become so cynical. You were on the Hill more recently than I by a good deal. And so 
I've had more time for my cynicism to take root and strengthen, and it's pretty massive right now. I'm not sure that I'm ready to say that it was a watershed, but it does seem to be breaking through among people who are paying attention. Look no further than an anecdote reported in Politico over the weekend that four American senators recounted a story in which Ukrainian officials told them that they had seen a soldier sitting in a muddy trench with Russian artillery exploding around him in Ukraine. And he is scrolling on his phone for news that the U.S. House might approve military aid. The idea of hold on a second, you mean like this might not happen, like things are this broken? It seems to be breaking through all the way, a world away. And I think you're right to put your finger on the New York special because it was the first time that Democrats went on offense on the idea of, do you realize how, all right, I'm going to have to put the explicit label on this episode. Do you realize how fucked up this is? We're in a situation where Republicans said, oh, Ukraine, we'd love to do it. Thoughts and prayers and all, but uh, we got to do the border. The border is what really counts for us. And Democrats gleefully tented their fingers and they said, okay, like we get that this is offensive to our progressive flank, but this fixes a huge political problem for us. Voters are pissed off about the border. So let's do something here, okay? We'll agree, the left won't like it, but we buy it. And the Republicans were like, okay, we're gonna poison pill this. And they didn't realize that we built up an immunity to Iocane powder. And in fact, your poison pill is not going to hurt us. So we said, yes, great delicious. Let's do this whole deal. And it turns out that the Republicans are like the nihilists in the Big Lebowski. They care for nothing. I, To me, it, it feels like for people paying attention, not for the greater American public, I don't think the scales are going to fall from anyone's eyes. I don't think this is going to fundamentally change. I just think that there is a small segment of Americans who are both persuadable and paying attention. And that is a very small segment. And to those people, I do think that this was influential. I, I couldn't agree more. And I also agree with you that it's not necessarily a watershed moment. It's just something that broke through that we weren't sure was breaking through. So all the time that we talk about Congress and it not being popular and whatever, and but like people liking their representatives at home, right? This is very like DC bubble thinking. And so you just don't really know what's going to actually break through. So I was just pleasantly surprised that it was even a blip because it is so unbelievably dysfunctional. We've never seen anything like this. To, we've known the house, uh, the house is nutty. It's always been, right? It's the wild card of all the things. But to look at the Senate, let's take a step back and look at the Senate as a place that's supposedly working. Mitch McConnell, an intelligent, strategic thinker. I don't agree with 99.9% .9 of his positions, but the man knows how to get things done, how to move things in a certain way, and knows how to get his caucus behind him. He could not do it. The, we're starting to also see that this man who has had such a hold on his caucus on the Senate side is losing control of that caucus as well for because of the Mike Lees and the Rand Pauls. Just to build on that, the other thing that we're seeing in real time and that last week's action on Ukraine really exposed was the infiltration of the MAGA mind virus to previously sane people like J.D. Vance. And Lindsey Graham comes out with this 
bonkers, bonkers quote in which he, first of all, calls Trump the current president of the United States. And second of all, says President Trump says we should make any funding to Ukraine alone. It's just it's absolute insanity. Trump used to talk about Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, that's a thing. And it's happening to Republicans. And what's really, I think, for experienced Capitol Hill veterans like you, what I think is really mind bending about this is that in this border slash Ukraine deal that was on the table, you have the border, which is the signature issue for Republicans and for Donald Trump for the last 20 years. And it was paired with the signature issue for Republicans and Ronald Reagan for the previous 20 years, which is fighting Russia. And it's like an elephant sandwich with American cheese on top and a slice of apple pie served with it. And it turns out that the nihilists are like, no, we don't want that either. And to me, just the level of alarm bells of, oh my goodness, this is a profound change. Not only is Ronald Reagan spinning in his grave, but there's no longer even a through line to the Trump who came down an escalator nine years ago and deployed full racist attacks on Latinos. Even that is gone. Lindsey Graham is really, I want to study what happened here <laughs> because you make an excellent point on him. Like when he said that about the loan to Ukraine rather than funding through Congress, just I think it was two days before he was all for the bipartisan, bi like he was trying to get this bipartisan deal done. Like he was supportive of the deal to 48 hours before he made those comments. When I was at the state, I was at the State Department under the Obama administration. Oh, I skipped over and that. I, you have oh, no, quite, no, you have quite a CV and I, I glazed oh. over it. People should check you out. You've done fascinating work and critically, you've been in the executive branch and you've been in the legislative branch, and we're going to come back to that later. Sorry, I cut you off, but go no, on. No, you're, you're totally fine. And it's not so much about that. Mostly it's because my job was to work with the Hill, right? State Department Hill liaison, basically. And the entire time I worked on the House side with the House folks, and the entire time that I was at the State Department, it was always Republicans were in leadership. And we had such an incredible relationship. Ed Royce was the chairman of House Foreign mm. Affairs. The staff were just lovely people are, excuse me, still are lovely people. No, as far as I know, he's died. But no. We've been had, infiltrated by the MAGA mind virus. Also that. Yes, that's right. And so they, and we would work with Lindsey Graham. My Senate counterpart like person worked closely with Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham was a foreign policy. He took it seriously. And he was a well-respected brain that we worked with on that side. The entire time that I was in the Obama administration, we worked very closely with them. And it's like you said, it's just, it's like something ate their brain. Something I, I don't ate their understand brain. it. I don't, I will never understand it. But now we're also losing the Senate and we're all holding our breath, waiting for the fever to break. Like something, like, like something's got to give. I don't understand where it feels like the house might be lost forever. <laughs> Who knows? That's actually a great segue to another thing we want to talk about that happened last week, which was the impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And the through line to me is a conversation that we had with your colleague at the Center for American Progress Action Fund, Naveen Nayak, about a year ago when we were told a little more than that because he was one of the 
authors of the MAGA Republicans label, the MAGA Republicans midterm strategy, which worked. MAGA Republicans paid an average five-point penalty in all of the midterm elections. That's huge, especially in these kinds of swing seats. So my point is the MAGA mind virus is real. I'm not just trying to be glib about this. What you're saying is this is a real thing that's happening to people. It's not just a new crop. It's like people who have been established figures in the U.S. Congress, they have changed. And the Trump, whatever you want to call it, has happened to their brains. But also these otherwise intelligent people have seen demonstrated in no uncertain terms that this comes with a tremendous political cost. Towing the Trump line is a losing strategy, and yet Mayorkas. So I just wanted to serve that up to you as a jumping off point. I'm going to be a little cynical here now for a second. Yes, <laughs> let it out. It makes this you strong. The only explanation for this, that they don't have anything else to do or say. So they were hitting Biden like fall of last year, right? It was like the economy, inflation costs are up, blah, 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 right? Last quarter, things start to settle, even out, gas prices come down, eggs are a normal price. That message was not breaking through. People were not buying it anymore. And so there's two things. There's that, right? They were like, shoot, this this is not working anymore. We're, we got to hit the board. Like the border's got to be, that's when they start to move to the border really hard. And then secondly, they have this right flank, right? That even Mike Johnson, who's very right, is having trouble, right? Can't even like control it. He's got this right flank who is telling him that we need to impeach someone. Like, of course we'd love Biden, but it's not like things are not panning out there. So like, we got to do something. So it's literally, it was like a, a sacrifice being made at the altar. Somebody's got to give. And it was Ali Mayorkas, who's, first of all, a lovely human, who is incredible like public servant, just such a hard worker, super smart. They had nothing. They had like, he's not, he's not doing his job the way we'd like him to do his job. It's, that's not how this works, guys. That's not what impeachment is for. Someone give these guys a civics lesson. But Mike Johnson had to give them something. And this was his offering, right? Was like, we can't, like Jim Jordan and Comer, they just are not getting this together for Biden. So we've got to like, Let's just give him Mallorca's. Nobody's going to care. The problem here is that if you give a mouse a cookie, pretty soon he's going to want a glass of milk. And there's no amount of feeding the maca beast that's ever going to satisfy these people. And to your point, we had Michael Gerhardt, the preeminent scholar of impeachment on this show a few weeks ago. We talked about this. And yes, there's, if you really squint, there's some historic precedent for impeaching a, a president that hasn't been used on a cabinet official, but impeaching someone over policy differences. You have to go all the way to John Tyler 180 years ago, but yeah. you could maybe stretch and see it, but not really, not really. This is the reason I'm asking all this is I could hear our listeners thinking to themselves, or maybe our YouTube viewers thinking to themselves like, okay, I too am here for the dunking on Trump and the Republicans. That's great. I enjoy it. It's fun. But why does it really matter? I hate the Congress to begin with. I never thought that the Congress was that great. All right. It's like when Elon Musk took over Twitter and people were like, oh, no, now Twitter is terrible. Really? What about the way it was before? It was awful before. So now he's ruined it. Oh, boo hoo. 
I could see people saying, eh, is it so bad? So Laura, why is this, why does this matter? Like, why should we care that the Republicans have fundamentally broken the Congress? Let's talk about this, what happens with the Mayorkas uh, impeachment now. Senate is out until February 26th, next Monday. They now have to take that up, hold a trial. Now, it sounds like they're going dis- to try and dismiss it quickly, but they will have to do that before anything else. And no other business can be done in the Senate during an impeachment trial. So even if it takes two days, these are two very important days. Why? Because our government's going to shut down at the end of next, partially, right? At the end of next week. Like we're talking about the worst possible timing to pull these shenanigans. It's just theater, right? That they did in the house without impeachment. And now the Senate has to take up a couple days that they desperately need to make, to ensure that the government continues to remain open. One of the most consequential agencies that would shut down on March 1st is Department of Ag, right? This is food assistance. This is one of the agencies that does the most for the neediest in the country. And they go down March 1st. So as long as they continue with the theater and with the dysfunction, we're going to start to see this hit people's real lives very soon. That's reason number one. Yeah, I, I certainly agree that shutdown politics are bad. And I do this weekly roundtable discussion show where I actually have a very sane, lovely Republican human being who's an ongoing member of our panel. And she has often, she's the only one among us who has not worked or served in Congress. And her view is always, eh, they always come to the brink. They always fix it. What's the big deal? You and I are old enough, you're probably younger than I am, but you and I are old enough to remember back when Congress used to actually do budgeting and appropriations and make decisions about how it wanted to spend all of our hard-earned taxpayer money. And all of those spending decisions are, show me where you're spending your money. I'll tell you what your values and your policies are. And what Congress has had to do, by and large, for the last decade plus, is just say, look, we can't pass anything new. We can't agree on anything new. We can't compromise on anything. So. We'll take what we did last year and we'll just say, we'll roll that over for one more year. What does that mean? All of the policy choices that were made that previous year just continue to happen. The previous year, if there was an agreement to fund more for the Pentagon and you happen to be against that because you're progressive, that means you're continuing Mm -hmm. to do that. Maybe a Democratic Congress is doing that. If you're a Republican and you really want to cut back on some piece of wasteful spending in an agency you don't like that you don't know anything about, but okay, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, we're not doing that. And all of these decisions, and look, I know I'm making this kind of amorphous for people, but this is one level of dysfunction that means we're not making choices. The things that stick in people's craw about that they don't like that are broken about government, the dysfunction in Congress is a direct feed in to all the things you don't like, all the waste you don't like, all the kind of crazy being of two minds and speaking out of both ends of your mouth at the same time that our government seems to do, all of the bad policies that don't seem to favor the right people, the people who actually work for a living in this country, all the things you don't like, that's basically because of congressional dysfunction. So that's my piece on it. I I would also put in a word for 
the damage that this does for agencies. So I know people don't understand fully and I get it. Like, again, we're in our bubble here, but there are tens of thousands of very hardworking people who work all across dozens of agencies whose work every single day, even if you don't know it, is actually affecting your life. We're talking about everything from your post office to, again, like food assistance, SNAP benefits. Like these things are important to people every single day. And again, there are people who are working in this every day and they can't do their jobs well when you're going from a continuing resolution to a continuing resolution to a continuing resolution. And it's just not good for anyone. I am convinced now more than ever that we need to start a campaign. It's probably going to take five to 10 years to take hold, but I am convinced that we need to start a campaign about what government does and why people should care. Just to pick up on that idea for a second, I've been engaged in a long-term project here on this show and the related shows that I've done over the years to try to convince people of that very point. I've spoken innumerable times about Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, which lays out in wonderful detail the impact of the federal agencies and the fact that the chief role of the federal government is as the creator of data and other usable commercial information that powers business and innovation in this country. I've talked at length with experts in across many different fields about the fact that the most important thing that the federal government does overall is research and development. Federal investment in R&D is responsible for everything in the world around you. It is the scientific technical basis of everything in our economy. And by the way, much of the prosperity around the world, it comes from US taxpayers over the years, and we have benefited the most from it. And you ask any business leader worth their salt that relies in any way on any type of technological innovation, hint, all of them, okay, all of them. They know that federal public R&D is the foundation of everything they do. So I agree with that point. And I'll just, while I'm spiking numbers at people, I'll just say, that maybe I bury the lead a little bit here when we're talking about the dysfunction in the Congress. The fact is that last year, 2023, the House voted 749 times. You and I are House veterans, and we can tell you most of those votes are boring and inconsequential. Out of those 749 votes, it passed only 27 bills that became laws. Most of those laws were renaming frickin' post offices, okay? They accomplished nothing. I sound like Robert De Niro in The Untouchables. Nothing. You got nothing. It's it's shocking. And again, if you're the type of conservative that believes that the government should do nothing at all, first of all, you're probably not listening to the show. And second of all, you're wrong. Okay. It, whatever your values are, there are laws that the government should be passing, that the legislative branch of the United States should be passing on issues you believe in. And they are not. And the previous Congress goes to show how much we can accomplish if we set our minds right. to it. It was an epically productive session of Congress. Wow, that was a long rant. I can't believe you let me get away with that long rant. Thank you. <laughs> what I was going to say is you're not alone, by the way, even with Republicans. Like, I think there is a famous, now famous clip of Chip Roy on the House floor railing about the fact that he's got nothing to take home to his people. You know, oh, I have the quote. I have the quote. Nothing. Can I read it for you? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Can I read you the quote? Anybody sitting in the complex 
You want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Is that the quote you had in mind? <laughs> That's exactly it. And yes. hilariously, the irony is totally lost on him because he is like one of the core people that is stopping everything from moving forward. So it's just, it would be really funny if it wasn't so devastating for our country that they are, do they are doing nothing. They've got, no they've got nothing to show for it. I, and I understand like you can't somewhere along the way, folks going into the house and I guess forgot how it's all designed to work, right? You're supposed to get, come in, and you're going to fight for your values, you're going to fight for your things, and you're going to compromise because it's a big country with people with a lot of different opinions all over the spectrum. And everyone's job is to represent their person. So there's that is the entire design for us and for the country. That is how it was designed. And people somewhere along the way forgot about that. So Chip Roy is yelling that they've got nothing to show for their majority except that he forgot that the Senate majority is Democrat and the White House is Democrat. And therefore, in order to show that you did something, you're going to have to work with those people. And he's 100% fundamentally against that. He will, he wants it his way and no other way at all. And it, I don't understand why also the, let's just look at numbers. They don't win any of these fights when they say, oh, we'll just shut down the government and like they'll blink first. This has never worked. It has never worked. Just look back at the last few shutdowns and you'll see it has failed every time to get you what you want. So what are we trying to do here? Or what are they trying to do here? That's my rant. <laughs> I, I appreciate your rant. And I, I do want to try to bring this full circle. And I'll try to get there by way of saying that you and I share something in common in that we have both worked for members of Congress who have represented difficult to win districts for for various reasons and at different times. It used to be the case in the 2000s when I was doing this, that the way to do this was to try to talk about the things you had worked together with the other party to accomplish or any ways rhetorically that you could find common ground. So when I worked for Mike Michaud of Maine 2nd Congressional District, which is very purple, very decidedly 50-50, Every single state of the union from George W. Bush, my first responsibility was to go through the whole speech and find a few things where my boss could say, I agree with the president on fill in the blank. Was that easy to do? No, it was George W. Frickin Bush. But that was the way to do the politics in that district at the time, even in the late 2000s and the beginning of the 10s. What do you call them? The tens, the tween, the teens? I don't know. That was still the thing to do. When I was working for my co-host, Paul Hodes, as his chief of staff, we were still in a very purple district. And our strategy was we passed bills. We passed good bills with Republicans. And we talked about it. And that was, it was doing your job well in order to also do good politics. And it, and it was great. That's, if that's the pathway to good politics, then we have a great political system. If you're incentivized to do good compromise things that a lot of people want, that's the whole point of a democratic process. The problem is, and I'm gonna sound like one of these, I don't wanna say class of, well, like poindextery politics nerds, is the incentives for someone like Chip Roy are totally different. 
They are in a district that is a hothouse where the only thing they need to do is beat the people who might try to outflank them to the right. Look no forward than our speaker, Mike Johnson, who was elected in a carefully constructed legislative district in Louisiana where he just had to run as far to the right as possible, basically ran unopposed, and then fell upwards. He undercame every obstacle ever put in front of him on his way into Congress and then on his way to becoming speaker. He in no way represents the mainstream of American thought. He believes in dominion Christianity, which is like the Christians have dominion over everyone else. And that's where we are. So again, I think what you're seeing is dysfunction that's driven by these kinds of outside the chamber incentives. And that's what's fundamentally broken. Yeah. Here's my hope. Here's my hopeful note. Oh, I like hope. <laughs> Give me hope. <laughs> because please. aside from Debbie, I also work for Bill Nelson, right, for, who is a senator from Florida. Yeah, I've always been like, it's always had to be like, we are moderates. This is what we do. We work with Mel Martinez. We work with Ileana ross and We work with all our Republican colleagues because that's our job, right? Like, it's we got to get stuff done for our folks, right? And I have to sometimes remind our Democratic friends of this as well. We win with the middle guys. That's the majority is made by the middle. It is not made. There's a reason there, there's a front line, like front line group and that they're very well taken care of in the house because that those are the folks who need to win. All our wonderful progressive AOCs and all that, love them. They're fine. They're safe. Nothing that they say or do is going to change the fact that they will win in their districts. A lot of what they say and do is going to hurt those folks that need to win in the middle. And that's, of course, also true for Republicans. But Republicans don't learn the lesson. I think Democrats have learned that lesson a little bit, or they at least try to keep it in the back of their minds. Because as as much as you people, folks talk about the squad and blah, 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 but at the end of the day, they're voting for the bills in the middle as well, by the way. They're also helping pass these bipartisan pieces, right? So they didn't love the IRA, but hey, it was a huge piece of legislation. They wanted more, but they were like, let's take what we can get. This is the compromise. Let's go. The Republicans aren't learning that lesson. And it's so my hopeful note is that they either will learn it and will get will start to get some more moderates back in there, or they won't. And they will go the way of the dodo. And like the party changes completely. And we're just going to have a different set of parties. Of course, this is way down the line. But I am that understands that, that most Americans are somewhere in the middle that is going to continue to win races. 2022 should have been very different. And along with my boss, Naveen's brilliant work on the MAGA branding project, people are were open to it and believing it because that's it's what they were seeing. And they were nervous that these folks are just, they've gotten a little too much for them. It's too much. So those, all those Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin voters who took a look at Trump in 2016 and said, he's all bluster. He's going to have smart people around him. And once he gets in there, things are going to be fine. Nobody, again, we're America, like things don't change all that much. I think they learned their lesson too, right? We've seen every single election since 2016, every single one be more favorable to Democrats than it should be historically, right? Ballot initiatives. People are so involved now, right? People are paying attention. You're getting record turnout 
on off off years, right? People are just coming out and they're like, ooh, can't can't risk this ever again. And I that's my little ray of hope at the end. I think you've convinced me. I'm at war in my own mind between cynicism and hope. But what you're saying reminds me of the old joke about the two guys, it works better for their guys, two guys in the woods who run into a bear and they start taking off in the other direction. And one guy's, hey, why are you running? We can't outrun a bear. And the other guy says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. And I think that's a reminder of the fact that we don't have to convince everybody. We don't have to win over all of the MAGA crowd. We won't. But just to take this full circle, the fact that the dysfunction, the insanity is breaking through to Ukrainian soldiers sitting in a trench with Russian artillery falling all around them, the fact that it's breaking through in a swing, lean Republican district on Long Island and causing us to win a special election there, as we have predominantly won all special elections, and as we cleaned up in the midterms, goes to show that the people, we don't have to beat the bear. We just have to convince the people who make that difference on the margin. And that they're very open to this and they're paying some attention to the fact that this incredible level of insanity and dysfunction is bad and they're against it. And maybe there's some hope in that. I, all right, you made me feel slightly better just for a little bit. I'll have to have you back. You know what? As soon as I start to feel cynical again, I'll have back. Laura Rodriguez, Center for American Progress, my, my old Hill comrade. Thanks so much for being on Beyond Politics. Thank you so much, Matt. This is really fun. 